Section 22 of Hildebrand and His Times by William Richard Ward Stevens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 15. Close of the Pontificate of Urban II. Election of Pascal II. Revolt of Henry, son of Henry IV. Death of Henry IV. His character. 1096 to 1106. Part 2. On May 20th, 1105, a large synod was held at Nordhausen. Henry was present and affected extreme humility, refusing to wear the royal robes or to occupy the throne which had been prepared for him. He uttered a prayer for the conversion of his father and shed some hypocritical tears, declaring that in the course which he was now pursuing his only motive was a desire for the welfare of the kingdom and the church and that as soon as his father was reconciled to the church he would return to his obedience the simple people applauded these pious sentiments and with a loud shout of kyrie eleison invoked the blessing of heaven on the young king the history of the next six months is a distressing record of intrigue and strife of the temporary success of perfidy and the relentless persecution of a father by his own son the only redeeming feature is that although both sides were in arms they shrank from open war and no blood was shed the emperor retreated for a time into bohemia but in october he ventured to move westwards and about the end of the month arrived at mainz the inhabitants were attached to him and ready to take up arms in his cause but his spirit was broken and on the approach of his son he abandoned mainz and retreated to Köln. henry entered mainz and a diet was summoned to meet there at christmas which the pope's legate was to attend under such auspices there could be no doubt what the doom of the emperor would be nevertheless he resolved to be present in person this however henry was anxious to prevent probably fearing that the sight of his father would excite the sympathy of the assembly he therefore advanced to intercept him on the banks of the moselle not far from koblenz the father and son had a meeting the emperor flung himself at henry's feet and confessed that he deserved chastisement for his sins but besought his son not to act as the instrument of divine vengeance henry appeared to be deeply moved again he shed tears which seemed to have been always ready when wanted entreated forgiveness and promised to return to his obedience whenever his father should be reconciled to the church meanwhile he proposed that they should disband their armies each retaining a retinue of three hundred knights and spend their christmas together at mainz in peace and goodwill against the advice of his friends the emperor dismissed his troops and entrusted himself to his son who guaranteed his safety on oath and pledged himself to use every effort at the diet to effect a lasting peace they started for mainz the first night was spent at bingen henry treating the emperor with marks of most profound respect and the deluded father requiting him with signs of fond affection in the morning the emperor saw that the castle was surrounded with troops he was informed by henry that the archbishop of mainz had declined to meet him whilst he was under the ban of the church and that it would be necessary for him to go to the castle of Bökelheim, where he might spend christmas in security 
the emperor perceived that he had been entrapped he implored henry to conduct him to mainz but in vain he was conveyed to Bürkelheim, and the castle gates closed upon their prisoner here he spent a miserable christmas gebhardt of hirschau bishop of speyer was his custodian but spiritual consolations as well as bodily comforts were denied him the eucharist was withheld the holy child was born for all sinners he pathetically writes in a letter to hugh abbot of cluny but for me alone it seems as if he had not been born unwashen unshorn half starved the unhappy emperor passed five dreary days pent up in the grim fortress while henry kept the festival in mainz with pomp and splendour on december twenty seventh the bishop came there to announce that the emperor was willing to abdicate if life and liberty were granted him the surrender of the royal insignia was demanded and after a faint resistance the demand was complied with on the thirty first the emperor was brought to ingelheim to make a formal abdication he was required by the cardinal legate to confess his offences against gregory and the papacy he begged to be tried before accredited judges but his boon was refused and the helpless man had no choice but to confess in the terms which were dictated to him even then absolution was denied by the legate it must be reserved for the pope himself to bestow it if he saw fit his freedom was granted on the condition of his renouncing forever all right to reign and surrendering all royal castles and possessions to this also he assented he would willingly resign a burden for which his strength had long been unequal to retire from the world and attend to the salvation of his soul many were moved to tears at this pitiable spectacle of fallen greatness but this time the son did not affect to weep even when his father fell at his feet imploring forgiveness he turned his face away and hardened his heart father and son parted never to meet again henry went to mainz and there was consecrated king by the papal legate the royal insignia was brought from the castle of hammerstein and the ceremony of coronation once already performed in aachen at the bidding of the father whom he had deposed was now repeated on january fifth eleven o six the new king of course professed the warmest devotion to his dear mother the church and his dear father the pope in their defence he had unsheathed the sword for them he would wear it until death an embassy was sent to rome to beseech the pope to visit germany and set the church in order there the envoys however were all captured and detained at trent by count adalbert bishop gebhard of constance who travelled by another route was the only one who actually reached rome and brought back a flattering letter from the pope to henry even in germany however the rebels did not carry everything before them so easily as they had expected in elsass especially henry met with stout resistance in an insurrection at ruvach his troops were worsted and the royal insignia was captured nor was the spirit of the emperor utterly crushed and he still had friends though mainly belonging to the burgher class he escaped from ingelheim to Köln, where the citizens were moved to pity and indignation by the tale of his wrongs and indignities 
from Cologne, he wrote a letter to philip king of france relating his misfortunes and imploring aid and another to his old friend and godfather hugh abbot of cluny so deeply pathetic that one of the chroniclers remarks he must be a hard-hearted man who could read it without tears he tells the abbot that he turns to him as a refuge in his distress because he believes that through his prayers he has been delivered from many perils would it were possible for me to see thy angelic countenance to lay my head upon thy bosom who didst carry me from the font of regeneration and there bewailing my sins recount the story of my multitudinous calamities the revolt of his son had put the finishing stroke to his sorrows and he might well say in the words of david flying from a son not unlike his own lord how are they increased that trouble me many there be that rise against me he then describes in detail all which had befallen him since the outbreak of the rebellion represents that his abdication had been forced upon him beseeches the abbot to plead for him with the pope and declares that he is ready to offer any satisfaction saving the honour of his throne which might be deemed acceptable meanwhile to prove his willingness to do penance he made a pilgrimage to the church at aachen barefoot in the winter's cold here also he met with a friendly reception from the people and was lodged in the imperial palace Otbert, bishop of Lüttich, conducted him to his own city and exerted himself to procure allies. Duke Henry of Lotharingia became the head of a party to defend the emperor against his son. Aid was sought from Philip of France and Count Robert of Flanders, perhaps also from England and Denmark. Young Henry became alarmed. He resolved to try and nip this counter-movement in the bud by prompt and bold action, he commanded his father to quit Lutich and announced his intention of keeping Easter there. The emperor refused to withdraw, and Henry instantly advanced into Lotharingia. The next four months were spent in fruitless negotiations with his father and an unsuccessful siege of Köln. In July, sickness broke out amongst the troops. Henry moved to Aachen and sent a message to the emperor intended to be an ultimatum. He gave him the option of holding a diet within eight days at Aachen for decision of the strife or of an appeal to arms. The emperor replied that if Henry disbanded his army and the nobles ceased to support his unhallowed rebellion, he would meet them in a diet. Otherwise he would submit himself and his cause to the Almighty and Blessed Trinity, the Holy Virgin, and all the saints a divine decree was indeed about to end the long contest the emperor's reply had scarcely reached his son before the tidings came that he was no more his illness lasted but a very few days his friend the bishop of Lutich, heard his confession and administered the eucharist to him he forgave his enemies sent messages of peace to the pope and to his son together with his sword and ring and prayed that his body might rest by the side of his forefathers in the great cathedral church of speyer which he had himself completed on the plan begun by his grandfather he died on sunday august seventh eleven o six the anniversary of his victory over rudolph at melrichstadt twenty-eight years before he was only fifty-six years of age 
but the incessant toils and heart-breaking calamities of his tragical career had worn out a constitution which must have been tough to bear the strain so long from his childhood in fact he had been a stranger to anything like lasting prosperity happiness or rest henry did not pretend to mourn over his father's death and the implacable wrath of the church made war even with the dead the bishop of lutish was threatened with excommunication by the legate because he had dared to receive the body of the emperor within the walls of his cathedral it was taken to an unconsecrated chapel outside the town where it remained nine days only one poor monk a stranger on his way home from jerusalem watched by the corpse and sang dirges over it then at henry's command it was brought back to lutich to be conveyed to speyer the emperor's bounty and kindness to the poor had endeared him to the people of lutich they insisted on carrying his body inside the cathedral multitudes thronged to clasp and kiss the coffin and carried away handfuls of the earth on which it had lain to fertilize their fields on september third the stone sarcophagus with the emperor's remains arrived at speyer it was conducted by the people and clergy in procession to the cathedral church and deposited beside the bodies of his father and grandfather but the bishop gebhardt declared that it would be an insult to martyrs and saints if the excommunicated lay in the same grave with the faithful once more therefore the corpse was taken up and placed in the unconsecrated chapel of st aphra hard by the cathedral church here it remained for five years just at that time henry had the pope completely in his power with much solemn pomp he translated his father's body to the ancestral vault on the anniversary of his death and celebrated the event by bestowing privileges on the citizens of speyer the personal appearance and characteristics of henry the fourth have been described by a contemporary but anonymous biographer he had a tall and stately figure a handsome countenance and a flashing penetrating eye which seemed to discern friend from foe at a glance to the poor and to the humbler clergy he was liberal and compassionate the common people were attracted by his frank and genial manner but he often repelled men of rank by his haughtiness and by his sternness terrified his enemies he liked the society of clever men was an attentive listener rather than a talker and could interest himself in the productions of science and art no one who follows the sad history of his life will be disposed to pass a severe judgment on his character his early experience of treachery naturally rendered him suspicious but there were many whom he trusted too much and even to his worst enemies he was not unforgiving the want of moral training in his youth when he was in some ways overindulged and in others too much restrained accounts for the passionateness of his temper and the licentiousness of his habits when he became his own master but the vile and monstrous accusations made against him by his second wife however difficult to refute are no less difficult to believe at any rate they were not proven he had not a large or comprehensive mind but he was quick of apprehension and ready in resource his aim was a simple one he strove for no novel rights but for the maintenance of the old imperial power such as he believed his father had exercised but the spirit of independence 
both in the reformed church and amongst the nobles which had been steadily growing during his minority was too strong for him he might perhaps have conquered in the struggle if he could have organized and led the lower classes against the nobles or arrayed the german clergy against rome but such a policy even if there had been no such matchless antagonist as hildebrand to contend with would have demanded qualities of a higher order than those which henry possessed he was not a statesman and although a brave and skilful soldier he was not a great general neither in political nor in military affairs had he any deep laid or far-sighted schemes so far as he had a plan at all it was to oppose the pope by forming an anti-papal party in lombardy and to weaken the nobles by fostering divisions among them but for the most part he merely met difficulties as they arose he was often involved in disasters which a man of a more prudent and calculating mind would have avoided but he generally extricated himself from them with surprising dexterity and his indomitable perseverance and untiring activity made it difficult for his enemies to obtain a lasting advantage over him End of section twenty two